0: Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. This week, the Catholic Church celebrates the great feast of the presentation, the presentation of the Christ child in the temple, also known as the fourth joyful mystery of the rosary. But have you ever wondered, why do we call it? The presentation of all the things we could name this moment. Why is it called the presentation? Many Catholics aren't aware of of the significance of this name of this great feast. And yet it's so important because there's so much happening in this awesome biblical scene. And we're going to miss out on it if we don't understand why is it called presentation? but if we actually can can unpack the significance of this term the title of this feast the reason this is given the title of the fourth joyful mystery of the rosary presentation it'll also unlock for us so much about our spiritual life our relationship with jesus and it's going to shed light on the great season liturgical season that's coming around the corner yes i hate to be the bearer of bad news lent is coming yeah, Lent is it's it's really soon, my friends. And it's not bad news, it's actually good news. It's a gift that the Church gives us each year this season of Lent. And I'm going to share with you some connections between this Feast of the Presentation, which kind of marks the end of of one kind of period in the Church where we're thinking about the coming of Christ in Advent, His birth at, in the Christmas season, and then His childhood in the beginning of His public ministry in these early weeks of ordinary time in, in the Church's season. It kind of reaches a, a height here at Candle Mass at the the, the feast of the presentation. But I think there's some insight that's going to help prepare our hearts to get ready for Lent, which is, which is only just about two weeks away. So we, we got to get our hearts and minds ready. So there's so much here in the scene, and that's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome, To all things Catholic, I'm your host, Edward III, and so excited to be with you here today, and I'm excited to be with a number of people. I'm I'm hitting the road again. I had a lighter speaking schedule in the fall, which was nice to be here at home and the family, but as we're ramping up for Lent, I'm, I'm gonna be on the road a lot more. If you are in the Denver, Colorado area, this Wednesday, January 31st, You can hear not just me, but my wife, Beth, and I are speaking at St. Thomas More Parish in Centennial, Colorado, Wednesday night at St. Thomas More, January 31st. You can come join us. We're going to be speaking on our new book on marriage the good, the messy, and the beautiful, the joys and struggles of real married life. And if you are in the Twin Cities area, I'm going to be coming out there later this week on Friday and Saturday, February 2nd and 3rd. I'll be at Good Shepherd Parish, Uh, so you can come see me out there on the south side of the Twin Cities. Married couples invited to that event, engaged couples, I think, as well. On February 17th, if you're in the St. Louis area, I was just in St. Louis earlier this month for the Great Focus Seek Conference, but I'll be coming back for the St. Louis Diocesan Men's Conference on Saturday, the 17th. So hope to see many of of the men there for that conference. And finally, later in February, the 21st and 22nd, anyone in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I'm going to be coming on February 21st to St. Anne's in Monroe, Georgia, and I'll be on the 22nd of February at Holy Trinity Parish in Peachtree, Georgia. I always love to get to meet the listeners of the show, so if you're in any of those areas, please come up uh, and introduce yourself. I'm always here just recording. I don't get to see you all, so it's not like I give a talk. I'm, I'm actually just recording something. I don't get to see you and meet you, so if I... Ever come to your town or, or ever meet you at a conference, please come up and introduce yourself. I'll always love to get to get to meet the listeners of the show. But let's come back to this great scene that the church celebrates this week on February 2nd, the, the scene known as the presentation, the presentation of the Christ child in the temple. Why is it called presentation? If if you heard someone say, Hey, do you know about the presentation? I think most people would maybe in an office setting in your workplace, you'd be thinking about, oh, oh, that great presentation someone gave at the board meeting last week. Yeah, that, that PowerPoint presentation uh, and that, that great deck of slides that they presented to us. And they walked through a lot of information and it was really clear. Yeah, the presentation. It was an awesome presentation our boss gave this week. Maybe they're thinking of that or if, or if it's in a parish setting, it, it, maybe it's your parish and somebody says, oh, oh did, you, did you hear the presentation last week? You may be thinking of the talk. You brought in some speaker, and there was somebody that gave a presentation. Uh, or maybe you're, you might think of an in, a formal introduction. That, that's another way we might use presentation, especially more traditional times. You might say, may I present to you? Uh, so you're, you're introducing someone. We use this word in different ways today, but what did it mean biblically? That's what I want to unpack today. What did it mean biblically? Because it it's really going to shed a lot of light on our souls and what God wants for us, it's going to shed a lot of light on Jesus and what Jesus did for us, what He came to offer us, and it's going to shed a lot of light on, as I mentioned, the, the season coming up on the horizon—the great season of Lent that we're going to start talking about today. But first of all, let's just put ourselves in that biblical scene briefly here and think about what this would have meant to Mary or Joseph. Just imagine being Mary and Joseph, and and you're going up to the temple. Uh, this is 40 days after Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph, they, they were in Bethlehem, which is about five miles away from Jerusalem. And they decide to go up and bring their newborn child, Jesus, to the temple. Why? There's actually two Jewish traditions, two kind of uh, rituals that are in the background here. One of them is a ritual known as the purification of the mother that 40 days after a a mother gave birth to a child, she was considered ritually unclean for those 39 days. But then on the 40th day, she would go through a a certain ritual. There would have been cleansing that took place before this, but then she would have gone and then had uh, a lamb offered up in sacrifice and then uh, a bird. It might be like a turtle dove or or a pigeon uh, that could have been offered up uh, in sacrifice. So it would have been a lamb and then a bird. Uh, and then there was a, according to Leviticus 12, there, there was a, a, an option for those who were poor and couldn't afford a lamb, a lamb would have been more expensive. They could have offered two birds. And so we, we read about this in Luke's gospel that Mary and Joseph offered the, the, the two, the two birds, the two turtle doves or the two pigeons. And, and so they, it, it's an indication that they were poor. They couldn't afford the lamb. But there's also something significant here that it's also highlighting how, well, they may not have been able to purchase a physical lamb, but they offered a lamb that day, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the lamb. And we're going to get into how how, how Luke shows that for us here in a moment. But the, the second ritual that's in the background, and th- this is the one I'm going to concentrate on here. Uh, it's a ritual known as the Redemption of the Firstborn. And again, I'm going to get into some of the Jewish Old Testament rituals, and these are fun to learn about, but but again, it's so important to understand this scene and it's gonna shed a lot of light on on Jesus and on our spiritual life and what Jesus is calling us to. And there's so much in this. so let's let's go into this Old Testament tradition, this ancient Israelite tradition of the redemption of the firstborn. What is that all about? Well, way back in the Old Testament, the firstborn had a very important role, and not only in the family, but in God's spiritual family, the people of Israel. You see, if you read in the book of Exodus, it tells us that the firstborn were meant to be consecrated to the Lord. And we know that in ancient times, particularly you read this in the book of Genesis, that it was the father and the son that the father in the home was was the one serving as the priest, but he was training his son, his firstborn son to kind of assume that role of leadership, to be the one to protect the family, to guide the family, but also lead the family in worship. So every father in the home was the, was the priest originally. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't go find a, a certain priest out there in the world. No, 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 they they offered sacrifice themselves. They led their families in worship. Uh, and that's, that's the way God designed it originally. And the firstborn son in the family was meant to assume that role. They were gonna be consecrated to the Lord and, and they were going to assume that role of spiritual leadership for the family. But then something happened. You may remember this story in the Old Testament when the Israelites, they flee from Egypt, they flee from slavery, they get to Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments, they covenant themselves to God, they say, "Yes, we're going to follow all these commandments." and then, in just a short matter of time, they fall into idolatry. They start worshiping a golden calf. You read about that in Exodus 32, but that, that's important because at that moment, the only people that remained faithful to God that day among all of the people, who would you think would be faithful? You'd expect, well, maybe the fathers because they're the priests. You know, they, they would have been the spiritual leaders of the home. Maybe at least they would remain faithful. Or you think maybe those firstborn, maybe they would remain faithful because they were the ones that were getting the training to be raised up to assume the role uh, of being those spiritual leaders. You might think they were the ones that, that would have remained faithful. But on that day, all of the fathers, all of the firstborn fell. They fell into idolatry. They broke the covenant. There was only one group, one set of people that remained faithful that day. And you read about them in Exodus 32. You know what group that was? It was the Levites, people from the tribe of Levi. There were 12 tribes of the people of Israel, and one of the tribes was named Levi. That group of people remained faithful. And as a result, in Exodus 32, God said, you have consecrated yourselves for service to the Lord, to help lead service, worship. And they were the ones that were given the priesthood. And you read more about this in the book of Numbers, particularly chapter eight, describes how the firstborn lost the priesthood and it it was now given to the Levites. So why am I telling you all this? Because this is the background of this this tradition that starts after the golden calf episode at Mount Sinai is the tradition of the redemption of the firstborn. And and the idea is that, that the firstborn were supposed to be the ones to be the priests, but now the Levites are doing the jobs that the firstborn were supposed to do. So in the book of Numbers chapter 18, it describes how there's this ritual that if I was a, an ancient Israelite dad, I have my firstborn, that I would have to go through this ritual of buying back my, fir- my firstborn son in the sense that my firstborn son was supposed to be consecrated to the Lord. He was supposed to be fulfilling these priestly duties, but now the Levites are doing what my firstborn son is supposed to do. So he's consecrated Lord, but but I have to buy him back. So I had to pay a five shekel tax, if you will. I would pay five shekels to support the priests, the Levites who are doing the priestly job that my son should have been doing. Does that make sense? So this is the ritual of the buying back of the firstborn, the redemption of the firstborn, the five shekels, uh, which were coins, that I would give to the priests in in order to receive my son back because the Levites, the Levitical priests are doing what my son should have been doing. Why am I telling you all this? Because this is the key background to understanding and unlocking this wonderful scene that we call the presentation. Because when Mary and Joseph went up, it wasn't just the the purification of the mother. The, The text tells us it was also about this idea in the background here. You'd expect it to be the redemption of the firstborn, but it's fascinating. Luke doesn't mention five shekels you'd expect him to mention the five shekels. He mentions the two pigeons or two turtle doves. He mentions that for the ritual with the purification of the mother, but he doesn't mention the five shekels. Why why isn't he mentioning that? He also doesn't describe it as a redemption, a buying back of the firstborn. It doesn't say that Mary and Joseph are buying back their son. In fact, Luke uses a different word here. He doesn't use the word buying back redemption. He uses the word presentation presentation. It's a presentation of the firstborn. And, and here's the key, my friends, you know, this, the particular biblical word that, that Luke uses here in Luke chapter two is peristani. And we'll put that in the show notes for those Bible geeks that want to know this and how to spell it. We'll put that in the show notes for you. But the, this particular word doesn't mean simply to present or to like to display or to give a presentation or to talk or to show or to introduce. It is a much more rich, profound word used multiple times in the New Testament to describe sacrifice. It's sacrificial language. It describes offering. It's like a they're offering their firstborn. You see, most of the times a parent comes and brings their firstborn son to the temple and they're buying their firstborn son back. Here, I'm gonna give you five shekels so I can get my son back. You know, my son was supposed to be here in the temple. He was supposed to be leading in worship. He's supposed to be doing what these Levites are doing, but I'm going to give you five shekels so I can get my son back and he can work my farm. He can run my fishing business up in Galilee. He can help me in my little trade or whatever that is. So I'm, I'm buying him back so that I can have him at home and I'm paying you the money because you're doing what he should have been doing. So, but I'm buying my son back. I want him back from me. Mary and Joseph don't do that. They are not. Buying their son back, they're not clinging to their son; they're actually presenting him. Parestanai, literally, they're offering him. Do you see how profound this is? Every other Jewish couple, when they would come and bring their son, their firstborn son, to the temple, they weren't presenting the son; they were buying the son back. But Mary and Joseph are are offering their son; they're giving their son. This is what Joseph Ratzinger, the man who became Pope Benedict. <laughs> uh, Pope Benedict wrote about this scene, and he highlights this that the verb Paristani, here translated as to present, also means to offer, and the way that sacrifices in the temple were offered. The language of sacrificial offering and priesthood is evoked here. You see, a priest offers up the lamb for Passover, the priest offers up the animals for the various sacrifices. That's the language describing Mary and Joseph and what they're doing. It's like a priestly action. They're offering Jesus. Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, goes on to say, and again, we'll put all these quotes in the show notes for you. Luke has nothing to say regarding the act of redemption prescribed by the law. In its place, we find the exact opposite. The child is handed over to God and from now on belongs to him completely this is this is a beautiful scene. It says here in the place of encounter, right there at the temple, the encounter, the place of encounter between God and his people, instead of the reclamation of the firstborn, what happens is that Jesus is publicly handed over to God, his father. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus is that lamb. He's the lamb being offered. I know Mary and Joseph were poor and couldn't afford the lamb. But Luke is very clear to show, no, they're offering not just any ordinal lamb, they're offering the best lamb ever offered in the history of all the sacrifices in the temple because that lamb is is Jesus. And we know that that sacrifice will be carried out in his body on Calvary on Good Friday. And so I think this scene, if we understand why it's called presentation, we, it becomes much more personal for us. Well, first of all, uh, these are a couple of takeaways I want us to consider here. First. We express great gratitude for Mary and Joseph and all they did to raise this child, but not for themselves. They raised this child to go out into the world to save the world, and they offer him up. They offer him as sacrifice. We thank Jesus, who in the end is the one who offers himself on Good Friday. Right, Jesus says in John chapter 10, you know, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So it's not as if someone's just grabbing him and saying, hey, we're going to offer this guy as a sacrifice or, or someone's grabbing him and saying, we're just going to execute this man. I mean, Jesus is the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You know, No one has control over him. Everything that happens in his life, he wills, he consents to, he surrenders to. He prayed in Gethsemane the night before he died. Father, not my will, may your will be done. And so Jesus is offering himself. He's laying down his life by his own accord And you get a glimpse of that even right here in the presentation where the great king who's coming, the great light of the world. And that's what he's revealed. You know, when Simeon comes and reveals this, who this child is, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light of revelation to the Gentile and glory for the people of Israel. It's acknowledging this is the light to the nations that God foretold. He's the great Messiah. He's the glory of the Lord, the the presence of God coming back to the temple. This is a a beautiful moment. That's why our candle mass liturgies, our liturgies surrounding this great feast, often uh, we bring in candles and we light them. Uh, to remember Jesus, the light of the world, is coming, returning to the temple. That temple had been barren for 600 years. The glory of the Lord departed the temple when it was first destroyed by Babylon in 586 BC. And the glory of the Lord never returned. And Jesus is that glory of the Lord coming back. That's why Sibion says, my eyes have seen your salvation, light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory, glory for the people of Israel. Jesus, the glory of the Lord, the holy presence of God. Has returned to the temple in this forty-day-old child. It's a beautiful moment, and yet this great king, the light of the world, the glory of the Lord, He's coming to offer Himself, Peristani, to present Himself. It's not like, a, hey, I'm coming, I'm present here. I mean, that is that, and that's we're celebrating the return of God's presence to the temple in this Christ child. He used to dwell in the temple in the form of a cloud, a glory cloud. But now as Simeon points out, the the real glory is even more intense. It's not just a, a, a cloud of God's presence. It's God, the word made flesh in Jesus. This is amazing. So we do celebrate that, but it's more than that. That this one who is God coming back to his temple. He's coming not just as priest to offer a great sacrifice for us. He's coming also as the victim. He is that great sacrifice. He is our true priest. But he's coming to offer himself. Peristana, presentation, really means literally you get to give it as offering, sacrificial offering. And now here's the transition to make the connection even more personal to our lives. So we thank the Lord for offering his life for our sins and even symbolizing it, prefiguring it here in this great scene of the presentation. But it's also the model for what Jesus wants to do in us our lives are meant to be offered as a gift as well. Our lives are meant to be a sacrifice. And we have the great season of Lent coming around the corner. And next week, I want to share with you one great traditional practice that is not emphasized as much in our modern era. You're probably getting a lot of things in your inbox, talking about how you can have the most amazing Lent ever in your life. And here's 27 and a half things to do and you can do all these little creative ideas to, to live Lent and, 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 and those are awesome. I, I, I get inspired by those. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad things, but I want us to make sure we go to the root of this great season and its root is found right here in this scene called presentation because the Lenten season isn't about, Hey, I'm checking off a bunch of boxes. I got, I, I did all these tasks for Jesus You know, I read a good spiritual book and I got something out of it or I I went to a retreat and got something out of it. You know, I I went and served the poor and and I got something out of it. Now, I want to be clear, taking extra time for prayer, doing spiritual reading, serving the poor, these are traditional practices related to Lent. I just want to make sure we don't see them as the end. It's not simply I did these things and what did I get out of them? At the heart of Lent, we are meant to, to be changed. We're meant to be different. What is God inviting you to do to offer your life more as a gift? Not just do something for Him, but be something for Him. What might He be inviting you to do to change, to offer your life as a sacrifice, parastane, presentation? How might He be inviting you to change in the way you relate to your spouse? Is there something that you, that, that you do that you knew you need to stop doing in your relationship with your spouse? You need to stop whining and complaining or criticizing or being so self-centered. And God's inviting you to, to change in the way you treat your spouse. Or maybe God's inviting you to change a certain bad habit you have. You have the bad habit of putting off prayer. You, you say you're gonna pray every day, but you just, you kind of don't make it a priority. You don't make it the first thing in your day. And this Lent, I'm gonna offer my time as a peristane. As an offering, as a sacrifice, I'm going to give this to Jesus. Something's going to change in me this Lent because I'm developing this habit, this virtue in me. Maybe I've got a bad habit of losing my patience, and I and I'm going to try really hard this this Lent to not get frustrated, to not lose my temper at home, to not get easily discouraged when things go wrong. I, I'm going to I'm going to offer those moments when when difficult things come up, and stressful things come up, and disappointing things come up in my life, I'm gonna offer it as a sacrifice, as a parastane. What is God inviting you to change? How is he inviting you to offer your life more as a sacrifice, like Jesus did at this sacrifice, this offering, this parastane, this presentation, even as a 40-day-old child? More more about this next week. If you, if you wanna learn about this great tradition in, in the Catholic faith about Growing in virtue during Lent and overcoming our certain character defects, the areas where we're falling short, this is the heart of what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't want us just to do nice, pious devotions for him. He doesn't want us just to do little sacrifices and give up little things. All of those things are meant to serve something interior, that interior is a transformation of our soul that we're going to be changed, become more like Jesus to take on the character of Christ. What are those defects in my soul, those areas I'm falling short? Jesus wants to heal those. He wants to transform those with his love. And the the season coming up in Lent is a great opportunity for us to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about more next week on the All Things Catholic Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. And may God bless you. You May you have a blessed presentation And may you have a blessed few weeks preparing for the great season of Lent.